0: It's actually rather lovely to sit here and have opportunity to gaze upon all of you to just feel and tune in into the quality of silence, of stillness, of presence that's right here. and just aware of the many expressions of kindness, of care that happen around us, through us. I was just now touched to see the offering of a glass of water to someone who, with a cough I was reminded remembering uh, once when I was uh, sitting and the teacher was coughing and I was in the front row and there wasn't a glass of water in the room and I thought I could get up and go and get one and it would have really been helpful but I didn't And at the end of it, uh, the teacher, she looked at me and she said, you know, I thought you were going to get me a glass of water. <laughs> and I I was really actually touched but also sad because in some way I realised that the natural response of, oh, I could just go and help here, it would be simple and ordinary, that something kind of got in the way which left me unsure whether it was all right to get up and, you know, walk around in the meditation hall and go out into the kitchen and get some water and bring it back in the middle of the Dharma talk. You know, you can't really do that, can you? Oh, obviously you can. (laughs) And I could have then too, but I didn't quite manage to. Sometimes something happens spontaneously, naturally we realise we kind of a little bit get out of the way and what comes through, what we might notice is something something beautiful, something touching I spent uh, quite a bit of time contemplating what I might speak about this evening through the latter part of the afternoon and It's an interesting process whereby normally something forms a shape and a degree of organisation and occasionally it doesn't. (laughs) And Leela and I were having a little chuckle about that particular condition that we both know and thinking it'll be fine. No expectations or demands here. And just sitting down, as I said, and in the quiet, hearing the, the call of the owl. And feeling the stillness of a group of 50-something, maybe 60, 55 people sitting in a room so quietly that the faint call of a owl in the night comes through into the building. There's not many situations in which that would happen. In fact, if I'd been talking already by then, I wouldn't have heard it either. And something about the way when we're really here, when we take the risk to be open, to be vulnerable, to allow life to really come in, to touch us. I think sometimes what we feel, the sense of that, touch of being touched the very fact that we are touched tells us about our relationship to what touches us that we are able to be touched in that way and in this case with a for me a certain just delight in hearing the the owl And equally the delight in seeing the offering of a needed glass of water. It tells us something about our connection to each other and to life. That Sometimes we can be touched so deeply. We can be moved by simple things. And it's a not unusual experience. Do I need a bit more volume? How are we doing volume-wise? Can you hear all right? Okay, good. It's not an unusual experience, it's not a required experience, but it's certainly not unusual at times in a retreat that we will notice and people will report the way in which something rather ordinary speaks to or resonates with or touches us in an extraordinary way. Where we can feel a degree of of love or warmth towards someone who just happens to be walking past rather quietly. Or feel a sense of the, the exquisite beauty of the curling... Of an autumn leaf, as it enters the process of dying, in fact, or the light that we see in the sky as the sun sets, and the both the way in which we can be touched by such things, and the natural wish we might have to share those with others that we enjoy it's interesting, isn't it we enjoy as someone was Mentioning this afternoon, no, this morning, sorry, in the group, that sense of just being able to share something that's beautiful. And in the sharing of it, there's, again, there's a way in which, because we somehow realize that if this is touching us both, we are closer to each other than we might have otherwise known or understood. We're closer to that which touches us than we imagine. This whole experience of being alive, being here, that we seem to orient towards being located inside this body and mind, we could say, as if it's somehow apart from that which we encounter, which we are touched by, which we touch It's the way we experience things. It's the effect of consciousness in which experience is known. The sense arises of the that which is known, and the knowing, the knower. And we tend to believe. We tend to invest in. We tend to assume that that is. The fundamental reality. That we who are experiencing this are somehow apart from that which we are experiencing. That there is somehow an inside over here which we're in. And there's an outside over there which is somewhere else from here than here. And as we get quiet, as we become more open and naturally permeable to life, to our experience, that doesn't quite hold up so strongly. We might not think or conceive in those terms, but there can be the sometimes the felt sense of our Closeness, so close in fact, to what is around us, to what we might call each other or another. We can sometimes have a sense of being so close that we can't actually hold ourselves separate from or apart. And it's not a conceiving. It's not a figuring it out. There's something of a more direct knowing, understanding. So we come closer to in the stillness and the quiet. And what is it that delights us? Again, just the sound of the, the owl. And you know, for the mice... That's not a happy sound. (laughs) But something in us, I think, certainly for me, that our lives lived at a certain distance removed from a quality of wildness, of spontaneity. The, of course, not idealizing. The condition in which wild creatures exist, fear and hunger are their companions, often enough. And yet, interestingly, it seems to be maybe not something they dwell on in the way we do. A beautiful poem by Wendell Berry. He speaks of the way we can be touched by the natural world, supported by it in the face of our our challenges, our difficulties. He, He writes, when despair for the world comes upon me and I awake at night at the slightest sound in fear of what my life and what my children's lives will be. I go down to where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and where the great heron feeds. I come into the presence of day blind stars waiting with their light. I come into the presence of wild things who do not trouble their hearts with forethought of grief. For a while I rest in the grace of the world and am free. There's something about that connection, that way in which we can allow, we can sense a possibility of our heart resting in life that's supported by the life around us, the life we are part of, the life that is within us equally, as we are within it. So easy and so painful for us to imagine ourselves separate from the natural world, from the life around us. And yet, how could we be so, born of this earth as we are, nourished by food grown in the soil with light, sunlight and moisture, rain and warmth? Do we stop and contemplate just how extraordinary it is that we're here at all, how amazing that we exist, Is there something we can allow ourselves to take in? This amazing, living, breathing ecosystem that we're part of? We're not in this world. As John Francis said, and John Francis was a African-American or is was and is an African-American environmentalist and campaigner who seeing the effects of a an oil spill on the the coast gave up travelling in any form of motorised transport he said I want to make no use of these things seeing the cost they cause the impact they have for about 20 years or more now he has never used any form of transport using fossil fuels, using oil and he spent much of that time in silence walking across the country of North America one of the the observations he made said you know we're not in the environment we are the environment We are this that we are in, that we find ourselves in. And in dharma practice and meditation practice we're invited to contemplate the, the way in which we tend to kind of construct a sense of our own particularity, we could say ourselves tend to define, tend to identify, tend to limit the sense of who and what I am in accordance with a, a sense of this body, this mind, as if it exists apart from everything it arises out of, as if this body exists apart from the earth and the trees and the plants and the many lives that have supported its existence, as if this heart exists apart from all the hearts we've touched and been touched by in our life, and all the lives that have gone before us and will come after us, that we are likewise connected to, and this mind likewise, this mind also. It's not independently existent. We notice how We're affected by things. And that's telling us. We aren't affected by something. The very fact of the... It's not like we're here being affected by something. The very experience of being affected is telling us that we're not separate from that which affects us. If we were separate from it, it couldn't affect us. It wouldn't. And you know it's not easy to be a human being in this world, to live in the conditions that we live in. It's not. We know that. But it's so easy to forget the, both the, the blessing of this existence as well as its miraculousness. I sometimes find myself reflecting on the Remarkable good fortune that there is gravity. Have you ever contemplated that? What life would be like for us if there was no such thing as gravity? The moment we moved, of course, you know, we'd just ping off into space. Or in this case, we'd you know, hit one of the walls or the roof. But of course the building wouldn't be here if gravity wasn't. We would have never got it to stay here to begin with. And we might just say, well, that's just what happens. It's kind of natural, it's kind of ordinary, it's a little bit boring. But actually, it's it's kind of interesting if you think about it, because what is gravity? You know, science gives us a name for something that happens, and we think, oh, we know what it is. Have you spotted how that goes on a lot? Do we know what it is? We know what it does. We know that You know what gravity is? Gravity is the word we use to describe the principle of physics that Newton, I think was it, kind of described, but excuse me if I've got the science wrong. Um, That one body with mass, like physicality, and another body with mass or physicality, they're attracted to each other. They draw the other together. So, we're drawn to the earth, and the earth is drawn to us. In fact, we're drawn to each other. We might notice human beings tend to congregate. They don't call it gravity. But it's not that different in a certain way. Because what that basic law of physics tells us is that matter, substance, is drawn to other substance. That's what gravity says, isn't it? Does that make sense? You follow? It's like, oh, it's drawn. It's like it's attracted. We don't have to sort of anthropomorphise sort of blocks of concrete. But at the same time, oh, material is drawn to material. That's what gravity tells us. It's like there's something about the nature of stuff that wants to be close to other stuff. And it's lucky for us that that's the case. Incredibly fortunate. So here we are, we find this existence happening. There's this possibility, there's this invitation that life offers us to be curious, to be interested, to see what's possible for us as human beings. do we notice when we're listening and it goes quiet? Are we waiting for an answer, for information, for entertainment, even inspiration? What if we're not waiting? What if we're simply just here? This human heart, mind, living, breathing, being, that we are. Just sitting, waiting, or not waiting. The Buddha spoke of this life as an opportunity to be received, an opportunity to wake up to what it is that we are. It's not something anybody else can tell us. It's not something we can read in a book. But we can come to know in an ever-deepening way for ourselves what the Buddha was speaking of. There's a poem I'd like to share with you by Mary Oliver, one of my favourite poets. I imagine some of you know her. And it's called, entitled The Buddha's Last Instruction. I'll actually read it through a couple of times. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him, the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt, he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I am not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly, beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness, to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour the light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life and then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the trees like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I'm not needed, yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly beneath the branches he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. To allow... what is most true, most real, most deep in the human heart to be known to be shared, to be revealed to ourselves and to each other is to illuminate this world to be a light we can think of both the warmth that a lamp or a light may give And equally illumination, the qualities of heart that touch with kindness and care others and ourselves in this world. The quality of luminosity that reveals, that shows the way for life to unfold. How do we hold that invitation to make ourself, make of yourself a light? And Mary Oliver is paraphrasing or just freely translating the recorded last words of the Buddha. I'm always struck in this poem when I read it, when I recite it, when I reflect on it, the line that says, clearly I'm not needed here. And yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. How do we hold that seeming paradox or Slightly confusing perhaps statement. I'm not needed here. You know the conditions that came to be that we would be in this form in this place could equally have happened differently than this. In some ways we are specks of dust in the vast movement of life in the infinite reach of the cosmos. And yet... And together with that, something of inexplicable value can be known, is revealed through the beingness of human beings. Not on what we do, not on where we go or what we produce. But perhaps sensed in the silent in the quiet, in the stillness. And I think we know those moments, those places. Sometimes, of course, we don't find ourselves easily able to rest in the places where things open up, where we maybe begin to access something deeper, something fresh, something previously unknown to us and yet recognisable. That which is profoundly true always has this twin aspect, these twin aspects of being completely fresh, never before touched, and at the same time familiar and recognisable. How can it be that something is completely new and yet recognized? And yet this is the way truth touches us. We know it. Because at some level we are of that from which truth emerges. And we recognize it. Precisely because we are of that. And yet when we find ourselves dropping into somewhere unfamiliar, it's easy to feel a little anxious or to get excited. To feel threatened by or enhanced by the experience. And what we find is the sense of me arising separate from what is happening. Making a conclusion about it. A conclusion about myself based on what this may mean or not mean about me. A threat. Or an enhancement. To allow ourselves to be touched by what comes. Without adding something to the bare experience of the touch, of what it is that happens in the stillness, in the quiet, in the exquisite silence and sensitivity that our human organism can attune to, can resonate with, can become an expression of, What does it mean to discover ourselves turning into something of inexplicable value? Not the value that we would take and sell in the marketplace. That would be like trying to sell water by the river, as one Zen teacher Described it. So can we be curious, open, interested? For now, for this moment, for right where we are, And as we sit and as we walk, as we stand and as we move, to not hold ourselves in any location apart from where we are. Do not imagine there is something other or somewhere else that will show us what we're looking for. In the movement of the human heart that comes from the very depth of our life, we're interested to know what is true. And as we start to see more fully, more deeply, more clearly, we see that what it is that is looking, what it is that is seeking, what it is that is searching in this life is in fact that which we or that which it is searching for. T.S. Eliot puts it like this. He says, We shall not cease from exploration and the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know that place for the first time. A condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. So let's sit quietly together for a few moments. Rumi says, I have lived on the lip of insanity, wanting to know reasons, knocking on a door. It opens. I've been knocking from the inside. practice here together, come to know the truth of our life from the inside. May we know the inexplicable value, the remarkable preciousness of this very existence just as it is. This heart and mind awakening just as it does unstoppably for our own welfare, for the welfare of all beings.